Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And I'll read the last three verses now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he continues to help us learn about the work of restoration. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that they, you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Most people associate Nehemiah with the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. And this is because this is clearly where the first part of the book places its emphasis that in chapter one, verse three, Nehemiah's brother comes to him and Nehemiah asks about the condition of, of those who survived the exile and returned to Jerusalem. And his brother says, the gates have been burned with fire. The walls are broken down. The people are in trouble. His brother talks about the condition of the physical city. Then in chapter two, verse eight, Nehemiah makes this request of the king. He says, I need timber. I'm going on a, a construction mission trip here. I need timber to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the fortress that's gonna go in front of the temple to protect the temple. I need timber to rebuild my house. Then when Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, he inspects the walls. He, he thinks this is the most important thing. We've, I've gotta know what's broken down, what kind of crew it's gonna take to pull all of these things back Together, And then in chapter 3, verse 17, he calls the people to rise up and to rebuild the walls. Why such a focus on the walls in the first part of the book? The answer is security. The walls were necessary for a secure people. Security militarily. That you're not going to be able to repel an invading army without walls around the city. Security economically, you're not gonna be able to have a, a flourishing uh, trade if you're not able to protect the assets with which you are trading in a protected city. And security theologically, that the walls broken down were a, a symbol to the nations. That does God truly care about his people or not? Nehemiah focuses on the walls for security purposes, militarily, economically, theologically. Remember the request that Nehemiah made of the king. He said in chapter two, verse five, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah, again, thinks he's going on a construction trip. Yet in chapter 4, verse 12, we get a hint that maybe focusing solely on the wall is leading to unintended consequences. This isn't on your sheet. I'll read it out loud. Chapter 4, verse 12. 
At that time, Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, 10 times you must return to us. See, Nehemiah had rallied the people all around this rebuilding effort of the walls. And the people that were left behind to tend the house, to engage in the harvesting, to care for the livestock, they're being crushed under this burden. They're saying, we can't do it all alone. Notice, how many times do they come? Ten times. We need help back home. Now, Nehemiah's response is to double down on the rebuilding effort. He says, no, we need more people. We need people stationed at the base of the wall to repel anyone that is coming to, uh, to harm us so the people can rebuild the top of the wall. There are calls to slow down, calls to broaden the vision to include some attention to community life and needs. And Nehemiah says, no. And the work continues for a time until we get to our scripture reading for today. So we'll pick up on our song sheets, chapter 5, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brothers. It's an interesting detail that Nehemiah includes that the wives were complaining as well. Typically in a a patriarchal society like the time of Nehemiah, the men would be called upon to settle any kind of dispute. But in this moment, the wives say, we we have had it. We're, We're alone. We're trying to harvest the crops. We're trying to care for the livestock. We're taking care of the family life. There is a great outcry, and it includes the wives as well. And there are three groups that complain to Nehemiah. They're all introduced with this phrase, there were those, or there were also those. So the first group is in verse three. There, excuse me, verse two. First group is in verse two. There were those who said, with our sons and daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. God's people have multiplied in Jerusalem. God's people multiplied it, and now there's not enough people to harvest the crops, and there's a famine that's come upon the land, and they're saying, we we just don't have enough to eat our family. The second group is in verse 3. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. So the famine has gotten so severe for some people that they've taken out a loan on their property in order to buy grain at the new exorbitant price that is being charged during the famine. And then finally, the third group, and this is the group that's in the most difficult situation, verse 4. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. These people sadly have already mortgaged their property as much as they can. And the only thing left, this is how desperate they are, is to sell their children in 
to slavery. And you see clearly that the girls go first. And I probably don't need to explain why. There's something very dark and evil going on here. A consequence of focusing solely on the rebuilding effort of the wall. And a light bulb goes off in Nehemiah's mind. You see his reaction in verse 6. I was very angry when I heard the outcry. Because in this moment, Nehemiah realizes that restoring the city means more than rebuilding the wall. That restoring the city means rebuilding a community. And Nehemiah knows in this moment that he can no longer focus solely on the wall. Because restoring the city means rebuilding a community. I get a lot of questions about the restoration movement that I think God has us in here at the chapel. A lot of questions about how long are you going to do outside, inside, and online? I get questions about when might we pass offering plates again? Or or what about this uh, particular ministry? All good questions, all important questions. It's not that the wall was unimportant. It's just that there was something that Nehemiah had missed. The rebuilding of the community. And when we only focus on the practical aspects of the restoration, whether we are Nehemiah or whether in 2022 at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we could miss the most important aspect of the restoration, which is how God is calling us to rebuild our community life together and our witness to the larger community of Williamsburg, Virginia, the United States, and the world for which Jesus died. We started this series saying the book of Nehemiah is an invitation to join Jesus in his work of restoration. This requires much more than considering service times and locations. It's more than walls. Restoring the city means rebuilding the community. So the question is how? How is that done? How does Nehemiah rebuild the community? How might we go about rebuilding community? Reflect, repent, resolve. Reflect, repent, Resolve. Last week, I hit you with nine roles of the restoration that we should play. One role we shouldn't. I thought I needed to make it a little simpler this week. People are probably still digesting those nine things. So just three things, hopefully easy to remember. Reflect. Repent. Resolve. Reflect. Look at verses six through nine with me. I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we as far as we are able have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. 
They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? There's an interesting phrase at the start of this passage where it says, Nehemiah says, I took counsel with myself. What does that mean? I took counsel with myself. There's a man named Robert Alter who is a Jewish and has attempted a, a very poetic translation of the Old Testament to try to capture the nuance and flavor of the Hebrew as the Jews might have understood it. And that phrase, I took counsel with myself, Alter translates, I reflected. Nehemiah takes some time in intentional reflection. Notice how anger, angry he is initially, but he doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't shoot off a few incendiary tweets. He doesn't post a sarcastic meme on his Facebook page. He reflects. And I think it's clear what he reflects on when you see his response to the nobles and the officials. It's quite clear that Nehemiah reflects on what God's word says about these topics, what God's word says about the people who were hungry, about the people who were being charged interest in mortgaging their fields, about the people who had sold their children into debt slavery. Nehemiah reflects on what God's word has to say about these topics, and then he reflects what he learns back to the community. So I'm going to walk through some passages from Leviticus chapter 25. Now, I can't prove this is what Nehemiah reflected on, but every solution Nehemiah comes up with, everything he charges the officials and the nobles with is actually contained in, ne in Leviticus 25. Helping the hungry. What does God's word have to say about that? Leviticus 25, 35. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. If your brother can't support himself, the solution from God's word is take him into your home. What about charging interest? Leviticus 25, 36 through 37. It's just the next verse, next two verses. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your, mother, that your brother may live beside you. And you should not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. Not only are you not allowed to charge him interest, you can't charge him rent. No room and board. No, hey, you stay here, I'll feed you, you pay me for the food. None of that, God's word says. What about debt slavery? A little later, Leviticus 25, 55. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. My people belong to me, God says. It's not your right to sell them to anyone else. They're mine. I brought them out of Egypt. I bought them. I ransomed them. You have no right to do this. They're mine. 
You see, Nehemiah is not sharing his general thoughts on how the nobles and officials could have done better. This isn't just some advice he thinks of on his own. This isn't his own political bent or rant. Nehemiah reflects on God's word. And then he reflects the truth of God's word to the community. Now something I just want to make sure is clear here. Nehemiah is talking about something we often think is quite personal, which is how they're running their business. How they make their money. The Bible has a lot to say about our own personal morality and I'll speak about some of those things in other sermons. But right now with Nehemiah, this gets close to home. This is how you run your company. This is how you treat your employees. This is how you share your profits with those who help make profit in your company. Bruce Waltke is a scholar who focuses on wisdom literature. And he's distilled down in the book of Proverbs a definition for who the righteous are and who the wicked are. Who are the righteous in Proverbs and who are the wicked? And he says this, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. What's happening in Nehemiah is people are disadvantaging the community to advantage themselves. Are you the righteous man or the wicked man? How do you run your firm? How do you conduct your business? How do you serve as an employee? Now, I don't want to just assume that everyone here is in the position where they might be able to make some of those decisions. So maybe you feel like you are the ones crying out. Like you feel like you are just sitting under a weight of financial burden. If you feel like you're the ones crying out this morning, my advice here from Nehemiah is keep crying out. Notice the people who were suffering, they came to Nehemiah how many times? Ten times. Ten times. And then they have to cry out again in chapter 5, verse 1. I think of the parable of the persistent widow that Jesus tells. There's a widow who, who comes to a judge and finally he says, look, I don't really care about you. I don't care about your case. But because you're just so persistent, I want to get you off my back. I'll give you what you are asking for. Be persistent. Tell someone where you're stuck. Cry out to God and trust him to provide. Because restoring the city means rebuilding a community. And so we reflect on the truth of God's word and then we reflect that truth to each other. Maybe the second building block for God's community is repentance. We reflect, then we repent. Look at verse 10 on your song sheets. <clears throat> Excuse me. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. 
Did you catch that? Who's speaking here? Nehemiah is speaking. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. I have a confession to make, Nehemiah says. I've been doing it too. See, before Nehemiah reflected on the truth of God's word to the nobles, I believe he reflected on where his life was out of alignment with God's truth. Maybe he asked the question, what have I contributed to this breakdown? Notice how Nehemiah begins with anger. And I don't know about you in my, my own life, when something happens and I'm just so angry about it, when anger is my first response, oftentimes the person I'm most angry at is me because I've participated in the wrong. I haven't been faithful. I imagine Nehemiah again in that time of reflection, maybe asking the question, why didn't I listen the first time? Why didn't I listen the second time? Or the third time? Or the eighth time? Or the ninth time? Or the tenth time? See, a lot of damage is done by followers of Jesus who separate reflecting on God's word, excuse me, who separate reflecting God's word to their community apart from reflecting on where their own lives are out of alignment with God's word. Both of these things must be done together. This is the clear teaching of Jesus Christ. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew chapter seven, verses three through five. See, it's not that there is never a time to, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We must reflect the truth of God's word to our community, but first we must reflect on where our lives are out of alignment with God's word. And the word the Bible uses to describe this act of taking the log out of our own eye is repentance. Repent. The simplest definition I can give you of the word repent is to turn around. Repentance is, excuse me, to repent is not just to acknowledge that you are going the wrong way, but to turn around and head the right way. It's both, which is why Nehemiah doesn't end with the confession in verse 10. He shows what true repentance would look like in verse 11. Return to them this day, this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, and wine that you have been exacting from them. It's not enough, Nehemiah says, to acknowledge I'm going the wrong way. We've got to say, I was going the wrong way. Now, turn around and go the right way, which means you return to them their fields. And what else? The percentage of money and grain and wine. You pay them back that interest. It was never supposed to be yours to begin with. 
Nehemiah calls here for a mini jubilee. The concept of a jubilee, again, comes from Leviticus 25. I believe there's so much from Leviticus 25. He had to be reflecting on this passage. And in Leviticus 25.8, God says, I've got an answer to economic injustice. That every 50 years, we're going to reset the deck. And the land is going to be returned to its original owners. All the debts are going to be forgiven. And we're going to call it a great jubilee because people will be rejoicing in this moment. So my question is, is there anything in your life or your business for which you need to repent? And I'm including myself in this as well. Is there anything in my life or in how we run the Williamsburg Community Chapel for which I need to repent? Is there anyone who owes you money that you need to forgive? And we can reflect on the truth of God's word as we consider our repentance. Proverbs 19, 17. Those who are gracious to the poor lend to the Lord and the Lord will fully repay. Proverbs twenty two sixteen, One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. So a man named David Green, some of you may have heard of, he's the CEO and founder of Hobby Lobby. He's gotten some attention recently because he gave away ownership of his company, which has been quite lucrative. He also gave the seed money to start the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. So many people had asked him about why he made this move. He wrote an opinion piece for Fox News. He said this, In the mid-1980s, I went through a period where I'd grown proud thinking that I had the Midas touch. And I nearly lost the business. God had to show me that he was the one who granted success. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that it's God who gives us the power to make wealth. The biggest challenge is to ask the question of whether you are an owner or a steward, a manager of what you've been entrusted with. God is the one who grants power to make wealth. And so restoring the city means rebuilding a community. And we repent, we turn around, we stop going the wrong way and start going the right way. Even with personal matters, what we imagine are personal matters, like how we run our business. And finally, we resolve We resolve to be accountable to and to worship with a community of fellow believers. Look at verse 12, second half of verse 12 and verse 13. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. This is resolve to be accountable to a community. 
Nehemiah says, don't just say you're going to do it. Be accountable to this community right here, right now, in front of these priests. And then worship with that community of fellow believers. Look at the end of the passage. Nehemiah says, I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. What did they do before they did as they had promised? They praised the Lord. They worshiped. See, worship is our at least weekly appointment with remembering that God freed us. Remembering that God released us. That God was generous toward us. And the released are called to release. And the forgiven are called to forgive. And they worship and then they do as they say because they and us must be reminded of the God who sets free. My favorite quote that I read this week is from a man named Derek Kinder. He wrote, Nehemiah sees now that the depth of poverty had called for gifts, not loans. The depth of poverty had called for gifts, not loans. And this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He looked at us. He sees the depth of our poverty wallowing in our sin and ultimate demise in death. The depth of our poverty demanded a gift of grace not a loan of good works so we might eventually figure out how to do better, but a gift, not a loan. And so God in and as Jesus Christ offers the ultimate release, the ultimate forgiveness from the most crushing debt, the debt of sin. Which is why when Jesus shows up in Luke chapter 4, he shows up and he unrolls a scroll in the midst of a synagogue And he says, I am here to proclaim release for captives, recovery of sight to the blind, forgiveness of debts. And he says, I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is another way to say, I'm here to proclaim the Jubilee. It's the same thing, the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee. And then Jesus Christ sits down And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are upon him. And he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the new jubilee begins as God in Jesus Christ comes to proclaim that jubilee, that release, that forgiveness, and then calls us to respond to his release of our debt to release others, to respond with his gen- by, to his generosity by being generous toward others. Because restoring the city means rebuilding 
a community to reflect, to repent, and then to resolve to live differently in light of the God of the great Jubilee. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.